0: You know, with all the difficulties and uncertainties that exist in our country and on our world today, it is good for us to remember that Jesus is coming back again. This is the blessed hope today of persecuted believers facing beatings, imprisonments, beheading, and death at the hands of Islamic terrorists just because they're Christians. This truth sustained Christians for many years were being crushed beneath the boot of atheistic communism in the days of the Iron Curtain. When the first century church experienced the torturous persecution of the Roman Empire, the apostles reminded those believers that one day, Jesus Christ is going to return and establish His own kingdom of righteousness upon planet Earth. Then as now, There are those who scoff at the thought of Jesus returning to earth. I've encountered a significant number of people in my life and my ministry who think that the idea of Jesus coming back again is just absolute nonsense. They think that's ridiculous. He hasn't come back before now. If he really did come the first time, and he's certainly not coming back again in in their way of thinking. The Apostle Peter had to deal with scoffers like that in chapter 3 of 2 Peter he says knowing this first that scoffers have come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation to sum it up they say Jesus is not coming back again in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 16 through 19 Peter prepares his readers and us to face such scoffing by giving us three powerful reasons for being certain of the second coming of Jesus Christ. As I stand before you this morning, I am absolutely convinced Jesus Christ is coming back again. Do you believe that? All right, good. We're on the same page. Uh, So I'm not trying to convince you this morning, unless you're here and you don't really believe Jesus is coming back. Then I am trying to convince you. Uh, But if you're here and you know Christ is coming back, we'll have some reasons for being to strengthen our faith and also to prepare us when we run into those scoffers that come across our path. We read, starting in verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word made more sure which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. First of all, we find that we can be convinced of the second coming of Christ because Peter did not base his teaching on religious fables. Now, we also, Peter did base his teaching on, for one thing, real-life experiences. And then Peter also could evaluate his teaching and his experience with a reliable written record of the Word of God. We have that available to us as well. First of all, we find that Peter... Uh, did not base his teaching on fables. He states that here in verse 16. He said, We didn't follow cunningly devised uh, fables uh, when we made known to you the power and and glory of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. First of all, he says, We didn't put together fables when we, we talked to you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, when he uses those words, what he's talking about is the second coming. Uh, He uses that term power in referring to the the second coming of Christ. And both of these terms refer to to the Lord's return. Power and the second coming are synonymous with, with both of those coming at the rapture and coming at the end of the tribulation period to establish his kingdom on this planet. you know there's going to be power demonstrated at the rapture? There's going to be resurrection power demonstrated at the rapture, isn't there? The dead in Christ, they're going to what? They're going to rise first. And there's going to be transforming power because what's going to happen to those of us that are alive and remain? We will be caught up to meet the Lord and meet others in the air. And 1 Corinthians tells us that we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we'll be given glorified resurrection bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that there's no power on earth that can accomplish that right now? There is no resurrection power on this earth. There is no transforming power like that on this earth. The only power like that is in Christ Himself, and one day He's coming back and going to demonstrate that power. The word coming here is the Greek term parousia, which whenever we see that in the New Testament, it's referring to the Lord's personal coming at His return to this earth. When we talk about that coming, it's coming from heaven To the earth. That's what's involved here uh, when when the Lord talks about uh, that that particular thing. And when Peter refers to it, he's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things can't be a reference to the first coming. Uh, We think about the humble nature of the first coming. Sure, there was power demonstrated in the virgin birth. But remember also how did Jesus come? Born as a baby, born in a stable in, in Bethlehem. What kind of people showed up? Uh, that first night, shepherds showed up. But so we find that when he talks about the power and, and talks about this coming, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. And in fact, he talks about it here because there were false teachers that were out there and they were attacking many things about the first coming of Christ, but they were also attacking the idea that Jesus was going to come back again. Peter refers to that in the passage in chapter 3 that we read a moment ago. Uh, that they, they were attacking this. But a physical return was taught by Jesus and all the apostles. Christ said, I'm coming back again. Uh, He said, I'm going to come back in in, in power and glory. I'm going to come back with my angels. Uh, The apostles all taught that as well. And the doctrine of the second coming was taught to the apostles by Jesus and then expanded in, in other revelations that God gave to them. But they didn't follow cunningly devised faith. They didn't make it up. Peter didn't make it up, and I didn't make it up. We look at the scriptures here. This is not some made-up myth that we're looking at here, but it's, it's something the Lord himself taught, and it's something that the apostles talked and, taught and had good reason for doing so, and we got good reason for believing them. This stands in contrast uh, to the, the apostolic uh, teaching, the things that stood in contrast to, to apostolic teaching. If you've ever taken history classes or literature classes, any place along the way, probably one of the things you had to read was some stuff in Greek or Roman mythology. You know, I remember back when I was in junior high school, that was interesting stuff, interesting reading about Hercules and about uh, Odysseus or Ulysses and, and uh, all the different gods that they had back then that, that acted just like people, fought just like. It made interesting reading, but you know what it was? It was all fables, all made up. People made up gods who were just like themselves, had the same faults and same problems. They just seemed to have more power. And Peter said, that's not what we follow. That's what the uh, the wise Greeks came up with. That's what your educated and learned Romans came up with. Well, what a bunch of nonsense. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, it doesn't come out of fables, cunningly devised things put together. Rather, it's reality. And in fact, one of the things he refers to is, is the eyewitness nature of his teaching. He goes on and he says that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right there in the end of, of verse 16. Peter and the other apostles walked with Jesus for three 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 and a half years. When they walked with him, they saw all kinds of things. First of all, they saw... A sinless life. None of us have ever seen that, have we? Even my wife hasn't seen that. But these guys walked with Jesus, slept with Him, ate with Him, walked with Him. Uh, three and a half years, not one sin. Absolutely sinless. They beheld his, his glory of His character. And they saw His compassion for people and compassion for them. They, they witnessed the miracles that He did. In fact, they got to participate in some of them. They got to help pass out the food when Jesus fed the multitude. They got to roll the stone away when, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Peter got the opportunity to walk on the water until his face started to waver a little bit, uh, to walk on the water to Jesus. So they, they got to participate in the miracles and, and see, them, see them done. They saw the majesty of Jesus. They saw his death. They saw him die. They saw him after his his resurrection as well. And these guys also got to see the ascension as Jesus just kind of lifted up from the earth and ascended into glory. as described in Acts chapter 1. But one other thing Peter also has in mind here, he saw all those things. But he also talks about a time when he was on the holy mountain and, and got to see Jesus in his glory. He got a, a preview of, of second coming glory, on uh, one great experience that the Lord allowed him to be a part of, we find that that described in, in Matthew chapter, starting in chapter sixteen, verse twenty-eight, and then on from there. In fact, keep one finger here in Second Peter. Go back there with me to the Gospel of Matthew, so we all know what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter sixteen, and also the parallel passage is seen in in Luke chapter nine. Christ starts out, and in verse sixteen, excuse me, not verse, verse twenty-eight, chapter sixteen. We'll start at verse twenty-seven. It says, "For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He'll reward each according to His works." Talking about the second coming, He said, "Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of God." coming in his kingdom, in his kingdom glory. They're going to get a glimpse of glory. Now, he wasn't talking about the fact they weren't going to die until he came back again, but rather he's talking about the fact they're going to get a glimpse of his kingdom glory. How do we know that? Well, follow right on. By the way, you realize in the original writings of the New Testament they didn't have chapter and verse divisions. Somebody added those years later. I'm glad they did. It makes it a whole lot easier than for me telling you, okay, turn, you know, about three-quarters of the way back in your Bible, and, you know, we'd never get on the same page. So I'm glad somebody put them in there. Sometimes some of the divisions are unfortunate. And this is perhaps one that's unfortunate, because it goes right on, and we see what Jesus was talking about. He says, now after six days, six days from what? Six days from when Jesus made that promise. Some of you aren't going to die until you see something of my Glory. Six days, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured, changed. What's that mean? Transfigured before them. Here's the explanation. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Luke chapter 9 tells us they were talking with him about his his decease, his exodus. Same word we saw Peter use last week. Uh, But anyhow, they they see Elijah and and Moses talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Here are three tabernacles, three memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. God saying, Don't put my Son Jesus on the same plane as Moses and Elijah, great as they are. My Son Jesus is absolutely unique. He is God's Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard Him, They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. That's what Peter's referring to here in 2 Peter chapter 1, when he talks about beholding his majesty and being on the holy mountain. And so we find that, in, in part, he's based his teaching on real experience that he had. He didn't base his teaching on fables, but he had some amazing experiences with the Lord Jesus, and this had to rank up there in the top three or four, I would imagine, in his experiences with the Lord. We see the the details as, uh, these three apostles are taken up onto the mountain with Jesus. Uh, they get to see Jesus in his brilliant glory, and and Elijah and Moses also come on the scene, and they're they're talking to Jesus. Somebody asked, well, how, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses?" You know, they didn't have photographs back then. Uh, they didn't have any paintings of, of of what Elijah and Moses looked like. Somebody suggested maybe they had sweatshirts with their names on. That's how they knew what it was, or maybe they could tell by the the conversation they had with Jesus, they talked with Jesus about his his coming death. And we find, what an, what an experience. And then Peter, bless his heart, he, he wants to do something good, so he says, well, we ought to put up three memorials here. One for Jesus, and one for Elijah, and one for Moses, like the, the, the Hall of Fame of Israel here. With these three guys in it. And God the Father speaks from heaven. He says, don't make any mistakes. Jesus is Jesus is the Son of God. Elijah, wonderful. Moses, great God. But this is my Son. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Give Him the preeminence. Man, what an experience. Have you ever wished you could hear God speak from heaven in an audible voice? Kind of overwhelmed them when it happened. Any other occasion it ever happened people were overwhelmed by? I'm kind of glad God doesn't speak to us that way. We might not be able to take it. But what an experience that Peter has in seeing a glimpse of the glory of Christ, same kind of glory he's going to demonstrate at the second coming, of hearing God the Father speak from heaven and vindicate his Son and affirm his Son. And Warren Wearsby says that the transfiguration affirms some wonderful things about Christ. First of all, some people want to deny the deity of Christ. What's the Father say here? He affirms his deity. This is is my son. This is God the son. It also affirms what Jesus' work was to do when you have Elijah and and Moses with him. What did they talk about? They talked about his coming death. When you think about it, what did Jesus come into this world to do? He came to die. He came to die for our sins, and the time was getting close, and so that's that's what they talked about. It affirms the truth of Scripture. In fact, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Old Testament that, that God works through to produce those books. And, and Elijah is a representative of the prophets. In fact, sometimes people sum up the whole Old Testament. Jesus did. He called the Old Testament the law and the prophets. And here Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And here you have the, the sources of, of the Old Testament revelation given testimony to Jesus here, and, and the scriptures are affirmed. The other thing that's affirmed here, the other thing that's seen here, is the coming glorious kingdom of King Jesus. Peter gets a glimpse, and James and John get a glimpse of Jesus. And all of his glory, probably not all of it, but at least a great deal of his splendor and his glory. So much so that it even made his, his clothes shine. What an amazing thing that was. We find also that Peter could evaluate his teaching and his experienced by a reliable written record now you and i didn't get to see that transfiguration event we haven't even gotten to see the real thing on on recorded on videotape or dvd or anything like that i suppose they probably tried to show it on some some film someplace or other but you know what when God does something, man can't really hold a candle to what the Lord does. We we didn't get to be there. Uh, some of us may look like we're old enough that we could have been there, but we didn't get to be there. But you know what? We have eyewitness testimony from Peter to what he experienced. Not just third, fourth generation on down. This isn't a legend. This isn't a cleverly devised fable that... that Peter came up with. What is it? It's a real live experience that he went through. And he's an eyewitness to tell us about that experience. He's an eyewitness to tell us about Jesus' death. He was an eyewitness to see the resurrected Christ. In fact, thank God, that's what we have in the apostolic record. That was one of the, the requirements for anybody to be an apostle. And when they, they chose a, a, a substitute to take over for Judas... One of the requirements, they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection so that they could be a witness, so they could tell what they had seen, tell what they they knew. Uh, So we find that that Peter has this experience. But you know, you and I have something even better than experiences like the apostles. We're we're told early in in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, we have like precious faith. We got saved the same way that we did we put our faith in christ to be our savior the same way that they did we have something even better and it goes on in verse 19 it says we also have the prophetic word the new king james translates it made more sure which you do well to heed we have the prophetic word made more sure there's other translations that say we have the more sure prophetic word there's two ways to take this here first some would say that scripture here is is being vindicated by the experience that these guys have and, and sometimes we say boy it's, it's wonderful when you find that, that scripture is borne out by experience you now the bible tells us if we if we pray god answers prayer isn't it nice to find that out by experience don't you like to see answers to your prayers it's great to hear that to, to have that borne out by our own experience it's great to trust the Lord, and find out that that trusting Him is worth it. You know that He keeps His promises. We were studying Abraham in the adult Sunday school class here in the auditorium, and God promised Him He was going to have a son, and He was going to have descendants as many as the the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on the seashore. And this morning we saw in Genesis chapter twenty-one that that uh, 25 years after God made that promise to Abraham, you know what happened? He experienced the birth of his son. Now, was the fact that that son was going to be born any more true when the son was actually born before God made the promise? No! But it was wonderful when that son was born. It's great when when Scripture is born out in our experience, but you know what? Even if you if, even if you think your experience isn't quite what it should be or doesn't quite line up with Scripture, you know what? The Bible's true. One of the problems with experience is sometimes experiences fade and sometimes we misunderstand. Sometimes we forget. My wife's all the time saying, you remember when such and such thing happened when our kids were little? And No. <laughs> She remembers that. She's a mother. (laughs) I'm a father. I I remember some high, I remember when they were born. I remember their names. You know, I remember the important stuff, but I sure don't remember all the details that that she could tell you about what happens our kids were growing up. Experience tends to fade. That can be a positive thing. Somebody told me the other, told my sister the other day, and then she shared it with me, that my mom had some difficult years the last few years before the Lord took her home in December. She had had strokes and her personality changed. And, and uh, here was a woman that, that was always doing for people and, and, and kind and considerate. And she became very complaining and, and hard to please and things like that. Anyhow, somebody, somebody told my sister they had been down that road with their parent. Their parent was gone. They said, that, you know, as time goes on, the good memories will come back. And, and take over and push out some of the more recent negative memories. I, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. I really pray that it, that it is. So it could be a, but memories fade. No, our, our memories fade about all kinds of things. But we've got something better than experience, and Peter directs our attention to something better than experience. In fact, I like the translation of this verse that's in the margin of the New King James, and it's in some of your versions you have. Where it says we have the more sure prophetic word. What's that saying? That's saying the scriptures are more reliable than experience. Well, sometimes we don't even know how to interpret or understand our experiences, but we have the, the prophetic scriptures that we can depend on, the unchanging, proven word of God that's reliable. And we'll talk next week a little bit about where the scriptures came from look at the next couple of verses, what's so special about them? Why are they sure? Why can we depend on them? Because this is the Word of God, that's why. It's the revealed Word of God that's been written down and recorded for us and, and preserved for us, and we can certainly be thankful for that. And when it comes to the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have prophecies that, that were fulfilled at His first coming. Many of them written 700, 800 years before Jesus ever came. It was prophesied in Isaiah. He'd be born of a virgin. You go over to Matthew and what do you read? Mary was a virgin uh, when Jesus was born. Micah said he's going to be born in Bethlehem Bethlehem of Judea. And where was Jesus born? Born in Bethlehem. We're told that the, the infants would be slaughtered in connection with his birth. Remember what Herod did? Ordered that all little boys, two years of age and under, should be executed. And that happened. So angel told Joseph, take, take Mary and take Jesus to Egypt, and he did until Herod was dead. And then they're called back out of Egypt in, in fulfillment of prophecy in Hosea 11. Zechariah 9 talks about the triumphal entry that that comes with them riding on the full of an ass talks about him being betrayed by a friend. We find that uh, Scripture's talk in the Old Testament about the disciples forsaking him. A potter's field being bought with the blood money that had been given to, to Judas. By Jesus being spit on and scourged and nailed to a cross. But, but not a bone being broken. His hands and feet being pierced. His death for our sins. In Isaiah 53. Sometimes you ought to get Isaiah 53. I just read through that. Man, it's like you're reading the New Testament Gospel, isn't it? tell us exactly what the significance of his death was, was going to be. and Then the Old Testament also prophesies and, and gives uh, a picture of in Jonah the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that all the, there, there's some 300 plus prophecies about the first coming of Jesus that you see in the Old Testament and, and you know what? How many of those were fulfilled? Literally? Factually? All of them. Every single one. What about the return? What about the second coming? We find that's prophesied as well. We, we find that it's prophesied that his second coming is going to take place in two phases. It, it talks about him coming to the clouds. That's going to be the rapture. It talks about him coming to the earth and actually setting his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's going to be his return when he comes at the end of the tribulation period. It said he would come himself. It's not just going to be a spiritual coming when the apostles are, are watching him ascend. They're so stunned, they're just watching. And the angel comes, and what's the angel tell them? Why are you know, well, standing here gazing? Don't you know this same Jesus is going to come? How? In like manner. He's coming back in that, that physical, glorified resurrection body. And when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to bind Satan in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He's going to destroy all those who reject him. And only believers will enter into the millennial kingdom. And Israel will be restored as the dominant nation, basically, in this world. And we find that Jesus' kingdom of righteousness and peace will be established and spread universally and Isaiah says that the increase of his government and peace there will what be no end. It's going to spread universally. an amazing thing. you know who Jesus wants to help him in all this? Us we get to work with him. He's going to come back and one of these days straighten out this world. This world's a mess right now. Can you believe the things that people are doing to other people? Can you believe man's inhumanity to man? can you believe? Dousing somebody with gasoline and intentionally burning them to death alive. Can you believe that? Can, can you imagine people beheading children? Can you imagine people having their, their churches burned and their, their homes burned and being beaten themselves just because they're Christians? Hey, it's happening. You got corruption in all the governments of the world, including our own in the United States of America. You got people that are dominated by sin natures. Well, I got good news for you. One of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's going to straighten the world out. And it's not going to get straightened out till he does come back. Should we do the best we can in the meantime? Should Christians be involved in public life? Absolutely. But don't fool yourself for a minute. You're not going to establish the kingdom. It's not going to happen. Not till King Jesus comes back and sits on the throne and rules over everything. That's In this world to get straightened out. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, even in connection with that, in which righteousness dwells. You know, the second coming is a certainty. It's a certainty. We're not talking fables, fairy tales here. It's as sure as the first coming of Christ. It's not a myth, not a fable. Peter and James and John, they've had a preview of it. They got to see a glimpse of the Lord's glory in different ways. And the proven infallible Bible that we are so privileged to have and to own and have multiple copies and be able to read whenever we want to and you can even have it on your phone today if you want it on your phone uh, we we get to have it well this, this is the most amazing book it's a supernatural book and it declares clearly and emphatically and repeatedly Jesus Christ is coming back again that's our blessed hope And if persecution like brothers and sisters in Christ are are going through around the world, comes to our country, we have that same hope that they do. Our hope is in the Lord. In fact, one of these days, he's coming back again. Man, what, what an incentive for faithfulness. Christ is coming back again. And one of these days, we can have the privilege of hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. What an encouragement when we're suffering. And we got great promises from the Lord. Don't don't worry about it when you suffer. The sufferings of this present world aren't worthy to be compared with what? The glory that he has in store for us. And that glory will be fully seen when he comes back again. You know, this is also a great motive for making sure your salvation. Everybody in this room is going to see Jesus one of these days. I guarantee that. We're all going to see Christ one of these days. So I don't believe it. You're going to see him. You're going to look him in the eye. He's going to look you in the eye. You won't be able to ignore him. You won't be able to get away from him. And when we see him, it's going to be one of two ways. We're going to see him as our Savior. And what a thrill that'll be, won't it? When he opens up his arms to encompass us and welcome us home to glory. Man, what a thrill. We get to see him in the clouds. would it be great if the rapture took place right now and we all get to see Jesus in the clouds? Man, that'd be all right. We wouldn't ever find out what Bill's daughter told him in that car that day. He'd probably tell us in heaven though, about that. Boy, what a thrill to be able to see Jesus face-to-face as Savior. Be with him forever and ever. But if you don't know him as Savior, the Bible says one day you'll see him as your judge. and There'll be no excuse. It'll be good enough for having rejected him and not taking the great salvation that he offers to you right here, right now. What a wonderful Savior. You now he's coming back. We get to see him again. What a wonderful privilege it is to know him and to love him right here, right now. And that's our blessed hope as believers. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I didn't bore you. Put your faith in Christ today. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Christ be ready. Be ready. When he takes you out of the world or when he comes back, one way or another, you're going to see Jesus. Father, help us. Thank you for the, the testimony, the sure testimony of Scripture that we have concerning the first coming that we can see has been fulfilled. What we realize is we look at the, way the first coming prophecies were fulfilled. we got tremendous reason for believing that the second coming prophecies are going to be fulfilled just as certainly, just as literally. Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to be encouraged this morning. Help us to be motivated. Help us to be faithful. And Father, most of all, if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, help them to be saved, even today, and be ready when Jesus comes again. We pray in his name. Amen. 364 would you tell the Lord you love him this morning for who he is what he's done what he's got in store my Jesus I love thee I know thou art mine stand together while we sing if you don't know Christ would you like to talk to somebody about your relationship with him meet me right here in the front we'd be glad